Good morning. I'm reading this morning from Psalm 30 from the ESV version. I extol you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help and you have healed me. O Lord, you have brought up my soul from Sheol. You restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. Sing praise to the Lord, O you his saints, and give thanks to his holy name, for his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. As for me, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. By your favor, O Lord, you made my mountain stand strong. You hid your face. I was dismayed. To you, O Lord, I cry. And to the Lord, I plead for mercy. What profit is there in my death if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me. O Lord, be my helper. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness, that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. This is God's word. So today, I really want to impress upon you, I want to highlight your soul's need for worship. Your soul desperately needs to worship your creator. Worship needs to be a habit for you. It needs to be a common practice. It needs to be something that comes as second nature consistently, whether in solitude by yourself or in community publicly as we're doing right here on Sunday. Regardless of your situation, regardless of your frame of mind, worship is a necessity for every creature. Now, some of us or some of you may be wondering why you're here. Have you ever wondered why you're actually here on a Sunday? Maybe sometimes people have brought you. You don't come willingly. Or maybe you do come and then you just one day scratch your head and go, why do I keep coming? Why am I with these people uh, every Sunday? And what really are we doing? And why is it even important? If you ever wondered that, or if you've been wondering that lately or even today, I hope to give you the reason. Psalm 30 is a personal song of thanks. David is personally thanking God for helping him out. But, but based on that, David now says to an entire congregation, okay, now, based on what God's done in my life, I want you all to worship. I'm calling all of you, I'm encouraging all of you to worship God. Like he says in verse four, and if I can find my, there's the clicker, I left it here. Um, he says in verse four, sing praises to the Lord, O you his saints, and give thanks to his holy name. Worship has such an impact on us that it actually changes our perspective on our struggles. And it answers the doubts and fears that we have brought on by those struggles. And as we look at David's meditation in Psalm 30, I hope you will see that the worship of God brings to us the perspective of God, perspective that we desperately need. 
Just as an illustration, simple illustration, our eyes and our brains interpret contrasts in what we see. Think about it. Uh, color. Not only colors, different colors, but, but different shades and hues of color. Light and dark. Uh, perspective of depth. What is far? What is near? Contrast all the time, allowing us to gain perspective. The contrast that our eyes and our brains interpret gives us perspective in order to respond to everything that's going on around us every minute of the day. Now, in a similar way, worship allows us to perceive contrasts that provide us with perspective. And today, I hope to draw your attention to three contrasts offered to us by worshiping God consistently. Three contrasts. And the first contrast is this. God's grace far outlasts our pain. David was convinced of this. Now, what I mean by the word grace, because it's heard and used often, but let me tell you what I mean by it. Grace is God's favor that we don't deserve, that we haven't worked for, that is unmerited. God's, as a gift, favor upon the people that he loves. And David says that God's favor is the reason why we worship. He says in verse 5, this is why he's singing to God. He says, for his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. You see the contrast there. David contrasts God's discipline, which though painful, is only temporary, with God's love, which is permanent, which is constant. Some of you may be familiar with the old children's book by Maurice Sendak, Where the Wild Things Are. And in that wonderful story, we learn about the little boy, Max, who was very naughty. And because he was naughty, his mother sent him to bed without his supper. But later on, when Max came to his senses, he was reminded of her constant love for him that even outweighed and outlasted her discipline. Because when he came to his senses, he discovered that his supper was waiting for him. And we're told at the end of the story, and it was still hot. David also contrasts a night of tears with a morning of joy. We see him say not only that God's anger, his discipline is just for a moment while his favor is for a lifetime, but he even says that weeping may last for the night, but joy comes with the morning. Think about it. This is a very practical uh, bit of imagery that David offers us. Now, you know that at nighttime, a child's fears increase. In the darkness, they interpret shadows and shapes in ways that they don't interpret the very same objects in the daylight. And they want to run in and and sleep with you because they're scared of the dark and what the dark brings. It clouds their perspective. And sure enough, with the sunrise in the morning, they're like new people. Now, you know it's true as an adult too. Isn't it true that in the dark and at night you lie awake and think about the things that most worry you? You think about the people that most worry you. And yet with the morning and the sun, this is quite quite literal, not only figuratively, quite literally, with the sunshine comes a new perspective that you couldn't quite see, you couldn't quite grasp and comprehend on your bed 
in the night. Well, in the same way, God's worship transforms our perspective. And if you were to think of Christian worship as a table, as a feast, the centerpieces of the table that God prepares for us in worship are what we call the means of grace. God's word and his sacraments, baptism and, and communion. The means of grace are, are not the things that save us in themselves. God saves us, but he communicates He communicates the benefits and the blessings and the nourishment of his grace through what we call the means of grace. And in worship, we are reminded through the word of God and through these sacraments and and through prayer and all that we do that is based on God's word to us, we're reminded of his glory and his power. And so we're moved to awe and wonder. Or we're reminded of his holiness and his law and we're grieved that we haven't kept it. We're grieved that we're not holy and we're moved to remorse and to humility. And then we're reminded of God's love and his kindness and his forgiveness and we're stirred to joy and we're stirred to obedience and the desire to serve him because it's, it's out of love for his forgiveness that we want to obey and serve him and do his will and serve one another and reach our neighbors. We're also reminded of God's unchanging will and promises, and that establishes our trust in him, and it gives us hope that can't be shaken. So all of these things communicate to us, God communicates them to us by his Holy Spirit as we worship, and all these things together, they shine like, they shine like the sun. They shine like the morning sun against the darkness of our troubles and our fears, that we've been sulking over in a debilitating way. That contrast David sings about, that contrast provides for us perspective so that he's able to say near the end of his song in verse 11, you've turned my mourning into dancing. And we know for David, if you follow his life, that was quite literal. His worship was not just cerebral, it it actually moved his entire body. Read First and Second Samuel. Worship contrasts God's constant favor against our temporary pain. And that's a perspective that is essential if you're going to endure whatever life throws at you. The second contrast that worship affords us is being able to see that our circumstances are diverse. We go through a lot of different circumstances, not only amongst ourselves, but as individuals. There's good and there's bad. There are ups and downs. There's living high and there's living low. David shows this from his own experience right here. We see that David endured many types of situations. The Psalm speaks near the beginning of how he was sick, near death, and God rescued him. God pulled him up and out of that. But we also hear of David's prosperity later on in the song. And you and I can each personally draw similar contrasts in in just what we've experienced through our lives, our ups and downs. I have worshiped God in the most happiest moments of my life. And I have worshiped God beside the deathbeds of people that I have dearly loved, whether they're family, relatives, or, or brothers and sisters in the congregations that I have served. And you have as well. 
You know, in one sense, what we're doing here every Sunday morning together, what we're doing here each Sunday in the light is training. It's, it's training, it's practicing so that we will be ready to do the very same things in the darkness. What we do here on a Sunday morning together trains us for being able to do the very same things when we're sick, when we're unemployed, when we're in conflict, and when we're on our deathbed. The Psalms, although they are poetic and melodic and artistic, the Psalms are not sentimental. The Psalms are very practical. They're essential. They're songs, they're prayers, but they're essential to us. The Apostle Paul, uh, we read this passage earlier, First uh, Colossians actually, Colossians 3, where Paul says, this isn't sentimental at all, this is extremely practical. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. It's all there. We worship together in the light to be ready to worship alone in the darkness. Worship's perspective, the perspective that we get when we worship the God of the Bible, it serves us as an antidote to despair. And it's also a purgative for pride. Without consistent worship, you'll forget that your pain is temporary. Without consistent worship, you'll forget that your success is temporary. I'm encouraging each of you to not give up on worshiping God with His people and let it become your habit so that as you experience pain and as your pain feels the most intense, contrasted against happier times in your past, you will still keep a clear perspective as David did in his worship. And if you're here and you're not a Christian, if you consider yourself to be an onlooker to what we're doing, an outsider to what we believe, maybe a seeker, I would encourage you not to give up either. Don't give up on witnessing Christians Worship the God of the Bible. I would encourage you, as, as we'll see in a few weeks, we'll hear another psalm where, where the words are this, taste and see that the Lord is good. Do not give up on witnessing the worship of the God of the Bible. Taste and see for yourself that He is good. And blessed is the man who takes refuge in Him. Now, it is our habit, as I'm talking about practicing. Worship is, is an expression of our gratitude and our response to the grace of God, but practically worship, we're, we're practicing every Sunday morning so that what we do every day in response to God, what we do in the darkness just becomes second nature. That's why you practice anything again and again, so that it becomes second nature when you truly need it. But it's often our habit to misinterpret the contrast. Do you misinterpret the contrast? Look at verses 6 and 7. David said, As for me, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. By your favor, O Lord, you made my mountain stand strong. You know, this is so, this is so real. 
This is so practical and authentic. Do you see this? Have you experienced this? You know, often, often God blesses us. And then in our strength, being blessed by God himself, we slip into complacency and we slip into pride. And this is extremely dangerous because in our complacency and in our pride, we begin to interpret our happiness and our comfort and our success as though it all came from us. And we forget that it all came from God in the first place. And in our apathy and complacency and pride, we slip further away from the God we desperately need. But if God loves you, if God loves you, friend, he will not let you continue in that frame of mind for very long. He loves you too much for that. He'll break you out of that. As David testifies, God broke him out of it. Look what he says in verse seven. He was, things were going well in his prosperity. He thought, I'll never be moved. And then what happened? David tells us, David says, God hid his face from me and I was dismayed. How will you interpret the contrast from prosperity to despair? Dan Allender and Tremper Longman wrote a book, a very helpful book called The Cry of the Soul, in which they used the Psalms to highlight how our emotions, the whole gamut of human emotions, really tell us how we're doing with God. And they, they, they shed some light on this Psalm, on Psalm 30. And they say, when God abandoned David by hiding his face, God stripped away from David his illusion of self-confidence. <laughs> Predictably, the result of this abandonment was loss of hope, depression. But where, dis, where did this depression drive David? To self-pity? No, it drove David into the arms of God. And they go on to say, the pattern typically for us moves from complacency to abandonment, from abandonment to depression, but then from, to, from depression to greater glory. And so in short, they say the process is something like this that David goes through and that I know we go through. From stagnant relationship to loneliness to intimate fellowship. Have you misinterpreted God's silence? Have you misinterpreted God's seeming absence, absence as though he's given up on you, as though he's forgotten you, as though he does not love you, as though you are not valuable to him? My friend, it is just the opposite for the Christian. It is just the opposite. It is in our prosperity that God hides his face so that we will be dismayed. He wants us in our prosperity, in our apathy, in our complacency to be dismayed so that we will remember that the only thing we can cling to in the end is him. He will strip everything away until he is the only thing that's left. And it's in feeling abandoned by God that we finally wake up, that he finally has us where he wants him. And now we're listening. C.S. Lewis said, we will never listen to God when we feel that things are going really well. But rather, he writes that pain, pain insists on being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. 
It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. And I think he was exactly right. This is why worship must become a habit for you in all circumstances. So that in your dismay, when you most need to worship, you will. And as you worship, even in your despair, as you worship as David did, even wondering where God is and what God is up to, as you worship and as you're reminded of these truths, you will get a new perspective. And you will see, and here's the third contrast, you will see the glory of God. You will see your own glory against the backdrop of your pain. The reason that God has helped David, David finally says in verse 12, the reason is that he says, my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. My glory, David's glory, your glory. It is, it is not sin to say that God will one day glorify you. You were created by him and you were meant for glory and he is going to bring you back to a state of glory. And the hope and the promise that God will one day glorify you to be the man and the woman that he desires you to be in perfection stands in contrast against your current despair. David couldn't see that fully, but now his spiritual ancestors, you and I, we can see it. See, worship interrupts your despair with fresh eyes on a clear perspective. The Apostle Paul put it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He said, So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Now listen to what Paul said. For this light momentary affliction, he calls it a light momentary, the guy that was in prison and was beaten, this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. There's the contrast. Beyond an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. And a way of saying that is David... Uh, Paul, with more clarity because of the gospel that David couldn't fully see, Paul is echoing David by saying, weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. Do you want to know God, but demand that you not know pain? For, Christian, for the Christian, that is impossible. God came to know us through pain. The Bible tells us that God in the man Jesus came to know the human experience by entering into our pain and suffering it himself. Christ came to know you through your pain and so you must come to know God through pain. And it's there, it's in your pain actually that you see clearly. You're not seeing clearly in your prosperity. You're clueless in it, as David was. It is in our pain that we begin to see clearly and true hope returns to us. And I think the true Christian hope is this. If Christ did not abandon us in his pain, 
He will not abandon us in our pain. He did not abandon you. He followed you. He followed his love for you to the cross. And he did not abandon you, though he despised the shame of the cross. He endured it in his pain. And therefore, he will not give up on you, though you suffer pain. And I think that is the hope that David only briefly tasted. That we now, after Jesus Christ, can know fully. That God allowed his son to suffer immeasurable pain. And then through that suffering, glorified his son. And as we come to know Christ, though we suffer pain, God will glorify us. And so the worship of God brings to us the perspective that Christ was truly abandoned on the cross, but then three days later glorified. And as we wrestle with the reality of feeling alone and in pain and abandoned, the truth is that against the backdrop of what seems most intensely painful to us in this life, there is a greater reality of glory and of healing, and of peace, and clarity that is yours in Jesus Christ. So, quite simply, it's not a complicated idea. We look at Psalm 30, we look at David's praise and saying, weeping is lasting for the night, but joy comes with the morning. Yes, yes, there is mourning, but it will turn into dancing for you. We see that in worship. As the word of God informs us, as the spirit of God fills us with that word, as the people of God remind each other that it is true and we can count on it, we gain perspective. Our vision becomes more clear regardless of our circumstances. I'm not, we're not promising happiness all the time, but God promises perspective as we worship him. And I think that's where we gain hope, even in our sorrow. So don't give up on the practical practice of worshiping your Creator in the light of the glory of Jesus Christ. And gain perspective by it. Because God's grace far outshines His discipline. And your future glory far outshines your present pain. And we know and we believe and we sing that joy will come with the morning. So let's pray. Our Father, as people who are very much acquainted uh, with David's story, and if some of my friends aren't, I know someday they will be. Father, help us to gain the perspective that you granted to him by your grace. That despite our present sufferings, there is an incomparable glory to our resurrected bodies, to restored relationship with you, to an inheritance that you have prepared for us that cannot perish or spoil or fade that you are keeping in heaven for us. Help us to look beyond what we see and feel and sense now to what your word, your word tells us we will experience in the future. Father, even now, give us joy in our grief and sorrow. Give us clarity 
in our pain so that we will not give up on you, Father, because your Son never gave up on us. Father, aid us in teaching us the beauty and the necessity of worship, either solitary worship or corporate public worship like this. Father, fill us, fill us with the habit of singing your praises, even when we're sad, of hearing and speaking your truth to one another, even when we hear the voices inside of us and the voices in this world that tell us to not trust, to give up, because somehow you've given up on us. Father, we declare now in faith uh, that we know that is not true. So bless us, Father, with the perspective that your grace affords us. Lord, we wait for the morning when we will rejoice. Even now, Father, in the darkest night, teach us to sing. Amen.